0: Good evening, and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Perry. And
1: I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 3, Episode 9. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast.
0: And you can also find us on our YouTube channel, which is also called The Fire Caves, and of course on our live restream channel, where we are right now live for you talking about this, in my opinion, pretty interesting episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But before we get into all of that, of course, you have to check in. So David, how have you been this week?
1: Yeah, I've been doing well. Uh, work was slow for most of the week, and then uh, today was a very nice day, so <laughs> made up for all the slowness that was going on for the rest of the week. Um, I am really loving the Expanse books. I've been trying not to get too far ahead of where you are, so that we're not, you know, off, you know, track together. Um, but okay. as I've told you, oh, sorry, what?
0: I was going to say, go ahead. Um, I I need some severe catch-up. I did not have enough time this week to read as much as I had, uh, wanted. So right. uh, I'm almost done with the first book, but I am not done. So I'm just like, uh, I, I knew that was going to happen. I was like, yeah, um, let him just go, and then I'll try to catch up Like when I have, a, uh, I have a free weekend. Well, it'll be a little bit, but I do a free weekend planned. And so yeah. then I'm just going to be like, yeah, this is just read time. So,
1: <laughs> well, I've said it to you already, but I'll just say it here live for uh, for everyone. But Sarala, your favorite character is ripped straight from the book. Um, the actress, whose name I don't know, this, you know you know her name really well. So you could say it,
0: Sheree Share Yeah,
1: so she is just like the character in the book. <laughs> um, the only difference is is that she's described more as a grandmother with like gray hair, but in the show, you know, she—I mean, she's a grandmother still, but she's got her hair black and fine and everything. Um, she
0: is significantly better looking than the grandmother as described in the book. Is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, not that she's described as ugly or anything, but when you have a, a world class actress playing the part, you give her every advantage, and she takes full advantage of it in the show. So, um, okay. she and Amos, who's my favorite character, are both really much like their book counterpart characters. Other characters, which I think you would agree, like Naomi uh, is different, not like terribly different, but uh, much more relaxed, calm, kind of sweet. Yeah. In the show, she is harder, not like a like an evil hard, but she is already being insinuated to be part of the OPA, uh, like a, maybe a terrorist. Okay. So in the book, she is a more relaxed figure. Um so there are differences there. She Holden, even Miller, are 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 tweaked for the show, which I think is fine. I finished season one again, rewatching it, and really enjoyed watching season one because they actually make some improvements. I would say in the show over the book, like for example, explaining the mystery of what's going on better. Uh, not that the book did a, a bad job, but you get a fuller sense of what happened in the show, uh, which was which was good. So, um. Other than that, one of my roommates is going to be out for two weeks. He is flying out to California, and my previous roommate and he are going to be driving through Texas because my old roommate is now going to—he was finishing his post-doctorate studies in California, and now he's going to be a full-on professor in Florida with his own chemistry lab, and all that jazz. Nice. Um, so he is making a little trip, you know, bringing all his stuff. He's going to come visit people here in Austin. That's where he lived for several years. Then go up to Tennessee for a bit. That's where his family lives. And then finish the drive back to Florida and start his new life as a full-on professor. Professor Moon. Jeez. So, yeah, pretty wow. cool. Um, but they, uh, they're they making that cross-country road trip and we'll get here in the like first week of November. So I look forward to seeing him again. It's okay. been a while. Well, nice. I mean,
0: I'm not doing anything nearly as exciting, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, wow, That's a, that's a heck of a trip. I know. Gosh. Yeah. It's a lot of driving. All right. Well, 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 good luck to them. And, uh, hopefully you all have fun when you do get to see him, you know? Yeah. Um, Like I said, I haven't been up to anything really much exciting. It's been a lot of work and, like, overwork, I feel, to a certain degree. Um, Just really taking, you know, um, a lot of extra hours to kind of get myself as built up in skill sets and stuff like that for my job as possible just so that i can um really make myself as ready as possible for this promotion i've been trying to get for it seems like you know just forever now i mean really realistically it's probably been like three months that i've been really focused on it right um but yeah it just seems like you know the the line keeps getting moved a little bit further (laughs) every time i feel like i've you know dialed in on it so (laughs) Um, not, not giving up, um, at all, but, uh, yeah, this, that's another reason why I haven't really had much time to read this week. Cause it's been like, basically I have volunteered for every project I have, I have signed up for just everything and just kind of tried to be on hand as much as possible. Just so I can be like, you know, this is what I really want to do. Right. And then, um, hopefully that, uh, works in my favor. Right. So we'll see. Right. But we're not here to talk about us. Well, we are here. There's to... one other thing which
1: we'll probably get into. But I did watch Star Trek Generations. In addition to watching this yes. season's episode, we'll talk about that that in our After Dark episode. Uh, that is correct. Yeah.
0: So for those of you who don't know, David was kind of well, yeah, essentially was new to a lot of Trek, and um, he had uh, before we began doing this show, he uh, had begun watching. The next generation. Right. In fact, if correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of your, uh, you there was some overlap at first of your next generation watching in Deep Space Nine. Right. Um, well, and then of course he did finally finish up Next Generation. But of course, being new, I was kind of trying to temper his <laughs> watching of certain things so that he was watching it in the proper chronological order, right. um, so that he could, I guess, have the full effect of the story. Right. In, in my opinion, right. So. Uh, finally reached a point where he can he could watch the generations movie in the same order that it needed to be from when next generation ended, deep space nine began, and where it was in the overall. Deep Space Nine storyline, because that will then prepare him for other things that are coming up in Deep Space Nine. Again, the show that he's never seen. (laughs) So we finally got to that point. He was finally able to watch it. So if you do tune in to our Fire Caves After Dark, which we're doing right after this, you will get to um, get his first reactions as a brand new uh, fan and person who's never seen it before take on the film and then of course you get to listen to me a person who's seen it a quadrillion times <laughs> and all the things that i could pick apart about it and um hopefully you enjoy it as well right. so uh but we will get to that but before we do that we of course have to talk about this episode it is the ninth in the third season and it's called defiant and it was full of some very interesting surprises yes so yeah. um so we're gonna get to that now. Again, we like to do these the summations of the episode. To keep it brief because we're obviously gonna talk about it. And uh, so I will take that
1: initiative. Go for this it! Week. Yeah, you were really great last week, especially with my whole flubbing of the internet.
0: <laughs> yeah, and since we're live, we can't stop it. We can't. We can't edit it. So right. um, uh, for those of you who end up listening to this show later, we do apologize for any kind of longstanding mistakes or whatever. But you know what? Hey, we're all human. It's okay. Um, So, yeah, the episode is called The Defiant, and this episode starts off with Kira essentially being overworked. She is snappy, she's rude, she's uh, abrasive, she's all these things, and eventually it gets to the point where Julian notices, and he's like, yeah, uh, you're basically on, you know, uh, on vacation, and you need to go and, you know, relax and have some fun and blow off some steam and all that stuff, and... While she's doing that, she is greeted by none other than the infamous Commander William Riker from the Enterprise, mm-hmm. and he is just as smooth and charismatic and as charming as he's ever been ever in the history of trek like i it was the it was it was so bizarre to me at first watching it because I mean, we all know that Riker was always supposed to be this kind of like smooth playboy, but in this one, like he seemed to just like really be into being this very charming individual Right. um he of course meets with some of the other crew you know he we see him talking with cisco he runs into dax he has a very strange interaction with o'brien um but that's about it nothing that seems to throw up any particular red flags um he ends up working his way onto the defiant getting a tour from the oh so completely enamored major kira right um, she gives him access to the Defiant, which now sets into this chain of events where he takes control of the ship. He uses a ruse to get them to release the docking clams on the Defiant and spirit it away, and that's when it's revealed that it's not Commander William Riker. No. It's Lieutenant Thomas Riker. Yes. Which, of course, is a callback to a Next Generation episode called Second Chances, mm-hmm. in which we learned that in a bizarre transporter accident, William Riker was duplicated. Right. Not a clone per se, but down to the very atoms and molecular whatever that make up William T. Riker doubled. Yep. And so now we have. This other one. And instead of calling himself William, he decided to ultimately go by the name Thomas. Right. Um, The middle name. There was a lot of... Yes, the middle name. That's when we... You know, the T is now Thomas. Right. Okay. Um, In that episode two, the ending of the Second Chances episode, Next Generation, we learned that, you know, this the duplicate Riker Thomas Riker has some issues with the fact that, you know, basically whereas he thought his life had been put on hold in reality, it had been continued by William and William was now this upstanding officer in the fleet. And now Thomas kind of feels very lost and kind of like a wayward soul, right. but he, at the end of the episode, he takes a position on another ship and he's kind of like basically going to find a new path for Thomas Riker in Starfleet. Right. Now, that brings us this episode, which is now set is is nine years later, and we find out that Thomas Riker had been serving on another ship called the Gandhi, mm-hmm. and he basically uh, had become kind of disenfranchised with Starfleet and had been in, uh, saying things that were more in line with being a member of the Maquis. Eventually, he defects and disappears, and now he's popped back up again, and he is again Commandeer the Defiant, and he's with a bunch of Maquis, and they're headed off towards. Um Cardassian space right. in order to you know just basically wreak havoc wherever they go. Right. Um Cisco and Odo inform Gold Ducott of what's going on. At first, Gold Ducott doesn't care, but then when they tell him hey, he's got the Defiant, he freaks out because the Defiant is a warship with the cloaking device. Right. And uh it can do some serious damage. Cisco wants to try to trap the Defiant, but Ducot's like, no, we're gonna destroy it. But in order to, as a sign of good faith, Cisco agrees to go with Ducat to Cardassia Prime in order to um, prevent a war breaking you out. Know, basically, show them prevent, yeah. yeah, prevent a war, and and so forth. They get there; they end up meeting a member of the um, Obsidian Order who's there as an observer. Right, and uh, the observer basically kind of puts the whole place in in this weird kind of lockdown so that Cisco can't see their you know their secrets and their tricks and things like that um the meanwhile on the defiant riker has already uh, thomas riker has already engaged the cardassian in a couple of little skirmishes which they they've prevailed they've won they've locked kira away but kira being a former you know terrorist herself sabotages the ship and kind of makes it very difficult for them to continue to use the cloaking device unaffected by the um cardassians that are out there looking for them right um Realizing that now they kind of have a bit more of a you know a timeline here for their mission because because of the damage that Kira has done and because of Cisco's efforts on Cardassia that the the Defiant's cloaking device is not going to work as well as they had hoped they set off for this um, it's a it's a ship depot right. is where they were headed and it's in the Urias, uh sector right. which apparently according to D- Dukat anyway is uninhabited it's a it's a deserted system but it turns out that the obsidian order has actually been building ships there all along right so the defiant under the command of thomas Riker, does get pretty close to the uriah sector enough to scan the area and find out that it's not so uninhabited as ducat and others may believe and um Basically, they begin to they begin to fight these other ships, but more keep showing up. First, it was three; then there are five more. Plus, there's like ten ships chasing them, And he's really committed to kind of finishing this mission. Right. Meanwhile, Ducat is having internal struggles on Cardassia because now it's revealed that the Obsidian Order has ships, and they're not supposed to have ships. Right. Not supposed to have any military materials of any kind. Right. And now they've just kind of uncovered this plot. So now Cisco sees a chance. Hey, instead of blowing up my ship, how about we give you all the sensor records of the Uriah system, but you can prove that the Obsidian Order is doing things they're not supposed to be doing, and then I can get my ship and those Federation people home. Right. Ducat's like, I don't think so, but they kind of bander it back and forth a bit until finally Ducat agrees. I will give you the ship, I will give you Major Kara. I will even give you all the Maquis in return for the sensor data and Thomas Riker. Thomas Riker led the assault. Someone has to answer for it. I don't want it to be me right. because Ducat is the king of self-preservation. <laughs> so, with one caveat, there's
1: one caveat that uh, Cisco insists on: that whatever the yes. preordained judgment against Riker will be, it will not be death. It will be confinement, Ex- lifetime confinement. It will not be a death sentence. Correct. But yes, yes. that's the caveat.
0: So they make contact with the Defiant. They tell them what the plan is. At first, Thomas Riker is kind of like hesitant, but then again, you know, Cisco kind of fills him in on the deal. It will save your people. We're giving you an out that will save everybody. You will spend the rest of your days in a labor camp. Kira makes a promise. Well, he and Kira kind of argue about it at first because Thomas is kind of committed to the the mission but she realizes it's not about the mission it's about you the man you're still trying to distinguish yourself from the other will Riker, the infamous will Riker, the first officer of the federation flagship will Riker, and you're and you're trying so hard to be different from him but you're actually you are him you you're you're him right so think about your people be a starfleet officer for one you know one last time Save your people, and and then she even promises to save him, uh, rescue him from the labor camp later. Right? Riker agrees. He gives a farewell kiss to Kira, and then he beams over to the um, the Kraxon, which is the Cardassian ship, and uh, Kira, now back in command of the of the Defiant, sends him home, and that's the episode yeah so yes now again as i always say that is a summation if you want to watch the whole episode and you should because it's it's a very interesting one i feel like um and we'll talk about that here in a minute but go watch it go watch it and then you can you know listen to us or whatever when you can go back and watch us on the youtube or when we release this later on on our podcast but yeah go watch it great episode
1: yeah yeah, um, so the first thing I want to just quickly say is that having just watched the movie Generations, where I see the TNG crew, to suddenly see what I thought was Will Riker show up, <laughs> like, the movie just came out, and anyone who's seen the movie knows that, like, things happen on the Enterprise. They seem very much busy. <laughs> what's going on with that movie? And then here comes Riker showing up on Deep Space Nine is like, I wonder what the timeline between the characters was supposed to be like. How did he jump from the Enterprise to Deep Space Nine all of a sudden? I mean, maybe it just doesn't quite line yeah. up according to chronologically when it was released. Blah blah blah. But as we realize, that's not Liam Riker. That's the not the clone, as you pointed out, but the the, the transporter duplicate. The duplicate. The uh, transporter
0: duplicate. Which, yes.
1: I, if I remember how they explained how that happened in the episode, it was that when the beam was going back up to the ship with with Riker. There was something in the atmosphere that you know, like reflected some of the transporter whatever back down to the planet, and so enough of it got through for the for Riker to end up on the ship, but another version of him stayed on the planet, and so there were suddenly two of him. Um, because th- don't the transporters that like they like disassemble your atoms and like reassemble you or something? Essentially,
0: yes, the transporter works uh, just like you said. It basically takes you apart. Um, converts your molecular structure into energy, sends it to wherever it 's supposed to go, and then it um, transports that back into matter and reassembles right. You. There are a lot of complications in, yeah, a lot of things that go on with transporter technology, which um, they, you know, they have to gloss over because of you know not knowing the science. There's a lot of very interesting things you can read about transporters and like how close we are to doing anything like that. In fact, there's an article out that we did recently, technically transport data um, from one area to another in a method known as quantum entanglement, but. That's a whole other thing. And, uh, there's a lot of people who say that it can't really happen because you, there's something about the molecules or whatever, the atoms, you can't know their position and their speed at the same time. Yes. Anyway, Star Trek, uh, has figured out a way basically to gloss over a lot of that. Right. And they mention certain things if you watch enough of the show. We could do a whole deep dive on that and I would love to do that another time, but essentially yes. In the episode Second Chances, what we find out is on the planet where young Lieutenant Riker when he was when there was just one of them, was conducting a mission on the planet's surface. They had a very narrow window in which they could beam down to the surface because there was something in the planet's atmosphere which would prevent uh, the transporter from working. Right. Um, something happens which they ends up making them have to beam out Riker at the last minute. So as they were trying to beam him up, that window was closing. And whatever that substance was that was in the atmosphere basically refracted, kind of like a mirror, Enough of the signal of the transporter beam because again, it it converts you from matter to energy. Right. So it can, it refracted enough of that energy beam that when most of it went to the ship and reassembled William Riker, a part of it refracted back to the planet surface where Riker, um, Thomas. Rematerialized. Yeah, Thomas, right. Yes, or Thomas then reappeared. Unbeknownst to him, that he was now Thomas. He was was still Will. Right. And apparently the window only opens like once every seven or eight years, something like that, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, he he wasn't able to – they weren't able to return to the planet for another eight years to go back to finish the mission. And when they do, that's when they discover Thomas is there. He's been living there the whole time. Right. So, and that's also a very interesting episode. And if you want to go back and watch that one in The Next Generation, you should. It was the, it was in uh, season six, I believe. Right. Um. And uh, yeah, f- f- very interesting episode where you're watching a person who's basically, his whole life had been on hold for eight years. And so all the thoughts and feelings and everything else that he had kind of were stunted in that moment versus Riker, who we've essentially watch for the majority of that eight years, because this is season six of Next Generation when that episode happened. So we've watched him for much of that time become this other person and mm-hmm. to see them in conflict, very interesting. Yeah. And then we get to see more of that play out here, which Deep Space Nine, I thought this was a, this was a great callback. It was surprising. Um, I don't know what made them decide to go this route at all right. and bring this this character back, but It was great. I thought, I thought this was fantastic to do. I love callbacks like this. Right. You know?
1: Yeah, Um, I I agree. Yeah, Yeah. It was definitely one of those moments where I felt rewarded having watched TNG before Deep Space Nine. I was like, I know who this character is, what his story is. Um, I, I really like that. I was just mad that they had waited till season three to bring the character. Like maybe the se- the character wouldn't have worked obviously because the Defiant didn't show up until this season. But um, I felt like the character, or at least Riker himself, could have shown up on Deep Space Nine before now. Um, yeah. I, again, well, I believe
0: I, I've always believed that there was. Um there were some contractual issues with that. You know, the oh. fa- the next generation crew, well, they, you know, they just finished up their show with, they just finished up their movie. These guys were kind of riding high right now. So I'm sure they all had some pretty high price tags attached to their names and signing up to episodes and things like that, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the thing that to me seems to make this work is really, you know, Jonathan Frakes has, he seems to have always just been a, a Star Trek team player. He is willing to do whatever that they want him to do and he seems to have a lot of fun doing it. Right. Um and he crossed over here and I thought he fit in. Uh, well, I he, it was just weird watching him with some of the characters and I I um I did like his interaction with Cisco, you know, but the way that he was just kind of zeroed in on Kira really just like Wow. Bit of a bit of an eye-opener. Well,
1: it's funny, too, because Kira says at one point, like, I'm in a relationship. She doesn't say who it is. Barile, we know who he is. But, like, mm-hmm. uh, hey, uh, Kira, sounds like that relationship with kind of, I don't know, fizzling out. You want to just go ahead and call that quits so you can move on without any loose threads hanging off? <laughs> just go ahead. Right.
0: <laughs> now, I mean, now, you could also say that, you know, she doesn't really um... – Initiate things true, they as far as he's concerned, they, they just talk, but right still, there's enough there. And then, oh, of course yeah, have Dax is at the end, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, Dax is always, you know, yeah. sniffing around. Yeah, making, she's like, you Why know, do you keep looking at Cisco's office? Awkward. Who's in there? Yeah, and then
1: uh, <laughs> and Kira's like, It was just we just talked for three hours. <laughs>
0: And it's, like, even then, like, Dax is, already, is is obviously insinuating that, you know, one, that she's met Riker before, and two, she's very much aware of Riker's reputation as uh, the lady killer right. there. So, um, you yeah, know. Apparently the her... Dabo
1: player as well. Apparently he, uh. Yeah, you know. Yeah, one of the tells that this is not our Riker is that she goes to him in this scene we're just talking about and says, hey, uh. Don't tell me you've forgotten who loaned you those three platinum that you needed to get started on the Dabo table last time. And our Thomas mm-hmm. Riker is like, oh, yeah, thanks for that, by the way. You're a real pal. Yeah.
0: He's, <laughs> he's very awkward. Yes. He's very awkward. And then, of course, we have his interaction with O'Brien on the Defiant. Right. Which should have also been another kind of, you know, giveaway that something wasn't right here. Because in all the times we've ever seen um, those two interact on the Enterprise, which was very little, I'll give you that. Right. It was never anything other than amicable. Right. He never, they never seemed to have any issues whatsoever. Um, now, I have read that some people were were saying that this was there may have been a scene that was cut here in which there was an explanation that basically Riker was supposed to be sour about the fact that O'Brien had left the enterprise. I have not seen any evidence of that
1: anywhere yeah that doesn't sound but right. that was
0: supposed to be the yeah that was supposed to be the story that basically while i was that he doesn't tell kira
1: while i was watching the episode was, i figured i had just forgotten the previous episode storyline enough that i forgot why thomas Riker might have been mad at at o'brien for some reason like maybe i mean again in the moment I didn't really think about this, but like now I'm trying to think of like what maybe what was going on in that episode. Like I don't know if O'Brien even featured that episode, but maybe as the the technician no. of the transporter, maybe he would have been like, You transporters screwed my life up, but that's not how Thomas Riker in that episode ever reacted. He didn't react all that's bitter right. about his being that's left right. behind. He was like just happy to be rescued. Well
0: No, he did act bitter about being left behind, but more in the sense of he like, for example, didn't get to continue on his relationship with Deanne. right? And then and also he was mad
1: at the re- that, that Will for having like kind of abandoned that relationship, but he had also kind of right. idealized it in his isolation. Sorry, keep going.
0: Okay. Right, and that's what and that's what Deanna ended up pointing out to him in that episode too was, you know, she was like, "You're acting so, you know, uh, you know, hostile towards Will, but I mean, you are him." Do you think that our relationship would have played out any different? And it's basically, she's she's pointing out the fact that, you know, you have been isolated for eight years. You have kind of romanticized this notion. But had your life continued, as obviously Wills did, right? you would have made the exact same decisions. Which is, you know, kind of the callback that Kira makes at the end of the episode. She's like, "You're you're so... Desperate to make a, a difference, to make a distinction between you and the other Riker, but you are him. Right. There, there is, there's not a real distinction here. You're kind of being this rebel without a cause, really, right. and kind of signing up for anything. She points out that even his 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 tactics don't make any sense. She's like, you know, if I I was a terrorist, if I had gotten my hands on a ship like this, I would have done the maximum damage. I could right, right away. You're talking about strategic strikes and finding, you know, the, the best points and all that kind of stuff. Goes, None of that matters. Not when you're a real terrorist right. and she's right, you know, and he's thinking in this very strategic militaristic way. Cause he was trained to, he's a federation, he's a Starfleet officer. right? And so he's trying to rail against the training that he obviously that he can't, right? you know, right? Um, and that's, what's causing him so much conflict. Um, I will say also about this episode, I I did like when, um, you know, he stripped off the sideburns to reveal that he wasn't. Yeah. Freaked me out. I was like, I remember the first time watching I was like, why are
1: you tearing the hair out of his face?
0: (laughs) I was like, what's wrong with your face? (laughs) I was like, yeah, what's wrong with your face? And you know what? If you watch the episode when you first see Riker, I remember thinking there's something wrong with him. And not being able to put my finger on what was wrong with him. And it's it's the beard. It's because it's been... They've obviously trimmed it to get it ready for that particular scene. But if you look at him early on in the episode, it, it doesn't look like the full-on Riker beard that we're used to. Right. Because it's not. It's been trimmed and everything else so right. that he could do this scene. Right. But it's also one of those things, too, that if you're... I guess if you were like a hawk eyed watcher of the show, right. you probably could have watched it and been like, yeah, something's wrong right. with his face. You know
1: what's something wrong with his face? Yeah. Going back and watching TNG season one, Riker's face without that his baby face. I'm like, what this man mm-hmm. doesn't look right.
0: <laughs> you know the you know the Riker beard is credited with saving the next generation. You told me this one, but um, you yeah, can't tell it again. <laughs> I, I love, I do love this this theory so much. Is that apparently? Babyface Riker from season one, uh, while he did attract a lot of attention, um, it wasn't really doing it for the show, and the show was kind of struggling. So when the when season two premiered, he stepped on there um, with that full, yeah. big brown bushy beard. Yeah. Apparently, he just he brought in fans by the droves, and <laughs> after that, it was over, and there there was no Riker without that beard right. um, until much. Much later, there's a there's a movie uh, that they do later on where he uh, shaves the beard again, and you see that that young face and it's just like blast from the past for sure, but yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah um, yeah, i uh, I like that Riker was here, but as we'll, as we'll probably get into talking a little more. this is another episode that I felt like it, that character. Was unfortunately diminished because we had to end the episode in forty minutes. Like again, it'd be right. nice to have extended it. I don't know if a two-parter would have quite worked. Maybe I mean two-parters are always fun. I guess the, the idea of like a like halfway through the episode being like wait till you know, like to be continued, you know that that'd always be fun. And this would be a great episode for that. You know the Defiant is out there blowing a Cardassian ships. Find out next week how we solve the problem. And I, I feel like the Riker the, the Thomas Riker character um is unfortunately the one who suffers the most because when the episode needs to wrap up, he's the one who has to kind of just give up and go home. And I wanted him and the Marquee characters to to kind of push more, to kind of fight more. You know, like, oh, we know we knew that the odds were gonna be against us, we knew this was a a kind of a suicide mission, but we were here for it. And so the fact that he and the rest of the crew of these marquee characters kind of go like, all right, you know, we, we will, we'll step down. We'll stand down. Um, was unfortunate. I feel, I feel like the episode, it needed to end. So they had to end it, but it could have really benefited from some more time to fully flesh out more of what was going on. Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, we do say that a lot, that this could, you know, that's our phrase, this could have been a two-parter. I feel like this would have been a great episode to kind of do like a greater story arc, where maybe instead of doing a two-parter, we see this episode, and then, you know, like maybe, you know, next season, we get like a Mm follow-up, and maybe see that rescue of Thomas Riker. I will, you know, minor spoiler, unfortunately, we do not see Thomas Riker again on, um, on d space 9 now Kira does there was promise some talk... that
1: she's gonna you know save him but
0: Kira, Kira does promise right. however it is not ever explicitly mentioned anywhere else that that ever occurs right. so um now not anywhere explicitly mentioned on any show I will say that there are certain bits that you know there were books and companion things and I even believe that at one point I, th- I think that Star Trek online references thomas Riker at one point but there is a book that was written in which uh kira does rescue thomas from the penal colony that he's in and it's like 10 years later so he ends up serving a total of like 10 or 12 years Man. in the penal colony before he's rescued actually now, I mean the guy I, was
1: on a planet for eight years and now hard work for 10 i mean he, he got this time he's he's done something that requires punishment but I mean, you yeah. feel before him, like, this guy is having to just, yeah like, we know our Riker, and our Riker was able to make it really far, and becomes an admiral later on and all that, but this Thomas Riker yeah. is kind of lost to history because of that one transporter accident.
0: Now, at least for now, I mean, like I said, there's a there's a book that talks about how Kira rescues him 10 years later, Um But, you know, with Picard, with the show, Star Trek Picard, you know, is running, it's entirely possible that they may address the Thomas Riker in the room, in in a sense, you know, and maybe he comes back in some kind of way and, you know, kind of writes his past wrongs or something like that. Who knows? Um, I do know that the writers for this particular, you know, story and putting together the script and everything like that, they had initially wanted to do it kind of where they were, You know, because we've seen the Maquis a couple of times now, and they were wanting to do kind of this weird like breadcrumb scenario with the Maquis in which, you know, the Maquis have always kind of been these like ragtag, desperate fighters kind of just lashing out, striking wherever, no coordination, no strategy or whatever. And then slowly but surely that starts to change. They become more organized. Their strikes become more precise and targeted and and more effective. And so there's this rumor going around that somebody has, you know, organized them and made them into a a better fighting force. And then it's later revealed that it's Thomas Riker who has defected from Starfleet and has become like the general of the Ah. Marquis. Unfortunately, it never went that route, but I think that also would have been a very interesting, Ah, compelling story. The
1: reveal of him. Again, I love Lieutenant Rowe, but like if it had been Thomas Riker, in, Lieutenant Rowe, um, what's his face? That was uh, Cisco's buddy Ben, I think it was. Like, Cal. The idea Cal that Hudson. These, if those Cal, three. Oh, Cal Hudson. Yeah, like if it turns yeah. out that the Marquis is actually led by like a bunch of disgruntled former Federation officers, and like they are like a true breakaway faction within the Federation. Ah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, Perry, that would have been amazing. That
0: would have been a great story. That would have been a great story. And just, and I mean, because that's essentially what the Maquis is made up of anyway. It's supposed to be members of the Federation from various worlds and civilizations who basically become disenfranchised with Federation and in particular Starfleet life. And that they are out here trying to like forge a life without that kind of influence now a lot of what the maquis are is overshadowed by the bajoran situation because of the fact that the bajoran occupation at the time that we that we first hear about the maquis back in the tng episode the occupation was still going strong And, and and um the cardassian forces on bajor were still you know running rampant and they were just kind of we were beginning to see the Cardassian Empire falling apart, they were pulling back from Bajor, they were ravaging the Bajoran, you know, planet, you know, for resources and everything else. So it does kind of overshadow the fact that the Maquis had a greater mission than just the liberation of Bajor. Right. So yeah, um, to see that and and to see that all these Federation officers who basically just Either couldn't cut it in Starfleet, or didn't like Starfleet's ideals, and defected, and kind of got together and used their knowledge and training and whatever else to kind of establish their own little coalition. Would have right. been very interesting, but yeah. we never really see that kind of forward thinking and development with uh, <laughs> with the Marquis, which is upsetting. Yeah. You're right. Yeah.
1: Well, I guess, you know, at the very least, trying to get Tom Riker, Lieutenant Rowe, Cal Hudson, all of those actors playing those characters to come together and act as a, like, secondary antagonist group. It would have been amazing, but I know that in real life, those situations are sometimes hard to organize. So even if they did have the foresight, it would have been hard to pull off, but...
0: Ah, yeah, really I know. mean, <laughs> especially back then... Especially back then, in the, you know, in the 90s when, you know, they were pumping out seasons and you, each season is somewhere between, you know, what, 24 and 26 episodes and they've got that breakneck schedule and all the long hours and all that kind of stuff and knowing you've got to get, you know, scripts together and people and and then, like we said, you know, price tags for things. Like, you know, by the time they got back around to using the Thomas Riker storyline, Next generation had, you know, was was a huge success. They were riding off of this movie, you know. Bringing Jonathan Frakes on board, you know, would have been pricey, even if he was willing, right? You know, which I'm sure that he was, because he just, I mean, the man is kind of ubiquitous with Star Trek these days. I mean, or, or Star Trek period. Right. He has been a part of it in some way. He he's directed. Um, multiple episodes for multiple franchises. He's done movies. He's at all the, you know, uh, conventions uh, all the time. The man is everywhere and seems to just really enjoy it. So I don't think that they had any problem with pitching him the idea, but I think just, you know, bare minimum contracts – Money, yeah, he was worth far more than everybody else working on d space nine right at the moment, <laughs> so um uh, yeah, I
1: agree yeah,
0: when you got when you've got a limited budget and you've got this star who's probably gonna eat up most of it, yeah, you know, pretty hard to do, yeah. but you're right, like um that's why I always wonder sometimes what goes into the planning of certain shows because. They they do give you so much and then things are totally discarded and then somebody comes along years later and is like, No, that innocuous thing that you didn't think about, I've been obsessing over for the past ten years. And here's my story, and it's fantastic. And I'm like, We would love to do this, but we don't have the money. Yeah. So scrap it, or you get a you get a one parter right. and um that's it. Right. Follow it up with a book. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But overall, what did you think of this episode?
1: Um, well, I, uh, I liked that it, Cisco was, was part of the main plot of the episode, which we haven't really talked about yet. I like mm-hmm. the fact that he and, um, what's his face? Um, Gold
0: Golducot. Yeah,
1: there we go. It's getting names for me, man. Woo. Uh, Gold Ducat. uh, they have to work together. Um, which is interesting. I do feel like the Cardassians probably wouldn't be quite so open to letting a Federation officer hang out in their like headquarters. Even if the card, uh, the obsidian order woman character is like, you know, pub in front of Cisco is like, make sure all level four and above things are c- locked down. And she's like, I'm so sorry. You had to hear that. And he's like, I would have done the same thing. I would have just been a little more, you know, subtle about it. Discreet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, because, you know, Cisco isn't the type of guy that's, like, if he needs to get a job done, and the Cardassians are the ones he needs to help get it done, he's not going to be, you know, biased against them. He's not going to be stereotyped against them. He's just going to play by the rules. He, he knows, at this point, in the Cardassian society. He knows how they work. He's able to, you know, work with them and work in their system to get things done. And he doesn't hide anything. He doesn't hold anything back. Um, so it was fun to see him. Like even try to like relate to Gold Dukat. You know, he says Ducat says my son's eleventh birthday is today and I'm having to miss it. I yeah. promised him I'd take him to the I think it's like the zoo or something. Um and and you know, Cisco tries to relate to him and says, you know, when they're young they don't understand, but as they grow up, they'll at one day they'll just say, Oh, I understand why my dad couldn't be there. And Golducott turned to Donovan and says, My son, is going to remember a Federation ship and a Federation officer that kept his father from being there on his birthday, and he's not going to understand he's going to feel hatred. <laughs> and it's just one of those things where it's like, he's going to feel hatred if you, Gold Ducat, make him hate. Like, if they, if you teach him that's how he's supposed to respond, is hatred, then yeah, of course that's how he'll respond. But if you teach him to you know, be forgiving and, and care, you know, care for their people and be sympathetic and, you know, show mercy. and. But if, yeah, of course, if you if you tell your son that that Federation officer is, is responsible, then of course, and there'll never be any growth. These, you know, you'll, you and the Federation will always be at each other's throats because you're never willing to stand down for crying out loud. Um, yeah. So.
0: And I think there was an interesting scene because this is a moment where you're right, like you're seeing these two kind of bonding over fatherhood and you see you know at first everything seems you know you're almost sympathetic you know but then the ending you're you're realizing the very stark differences between these two men and their approach to parenting you know cisco was saying how you know at the end of the day, you you hope that your kids understand it, that they come to you later on and like, yeah, I get why you did that, you right. know, because he's talking about it from a sense of, you know, you communicating your your values to them and your 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 thoughts for why you did what you did, right. and while they may not understand it, then they will come to understand it later. Whereas ducat's like, no, it's just it's hatred and we're just going to leave it at that he's going to hate this he's going to hate you he's going to hate the federation and and everything else and it's and he's clearly indicating he has absolutely no intention of following this up and he's even to a certain degree at least when i watched it i felt like he was trying to place that blame at cisco's feet he's like my son is going to grow up hating the federation and because they took his father away during this important thing, his father promised. And now his father, instead of saying, you know, this is my duty or whatever, and, and trying to explain it in a way that kind of, you know, mitigates that hatred. was basically gonna be like, Hey, I was going to be there, but then the Federation and their stupid soldiers and their dumb ship came blowing things up and I had to go and take care of that. So that's was, you know, that was the the message that he was given there, that he was going to let that blame rest solely with the Federation and kind of feed that hatred and you can see Cisco's kind of like you know kind of shocked he just (laughs) kind of stands there and is like I mean I guess if you want your kid to grow up to be a giant rage monster but you know that seems to be you know seems to be their MO like they don't they have no problem with making people into their enemy especially when they don't have to you know even the Obsidian Order um officer she does it to cisco when she comes in there and she's you know make everything level four and above you know locked down and seeking and she's announcing that she's clearly indicating to him that you are an outsider right. you are our enemy we don't want anything from you other than what we can use from you right um she doesn't try to make the situation in any way hospitable for him she keeps him at odds, right. and um, we watch her do this again, even with Ducat. Like when she seems to notice that Ducat and um, uh, Cisco are working almost okay together, she tries to twist that relationship, but she pays uh, Cisco a compliment while bringing down Ducat yeah. in the same in the same moment. Yeah. So it's just like they have this whole need to constantly maintain this adversarial tone yeah. with anybody who is not them right. even to the point that within their own culture anybody that is not obsidian order but is you know the civilian government there's a there's a split there's a difference here right. and they like maintaining that that's what I was noticing about a lot of those scenes
1: right yeah there uh, the whole Cardassian society is interesting because um, Cisco in talking with Ducat about you know how this is all going to be solved Dukat says that there's a some sort of governing board that, you know, has been determining the relationship between the Obsidian Order and the the high command. Um, And Cisco's like, well, that sounds like an inefficient system. And Cole Dukat says, yeah, for 500 years. (laughs) So don't knock it too hard. Um, But yeah. Yeah, the Cardassians. But yeah, you're right.
0: He does. Go ahead. Sorry. He does say that. No, he does say that. But then you're like, uh, has it really been working? Considering that your planet has been taken over by your military war machine, and you've ravaged other planets. You've lost your foothold with Bajor, and and the. Gamma Quadrant. uh, By extension, It's like, "Is it really working? Because it seems like you guys are, you know, losing every chance you get."
1: Oh, and by the way, the Obsidian Order is getting out of hand. You know, they're building their own military ships that are like advanced military ships outside of your known. You know, like she says to them when they're um, suspecting that that shipyard is there or that something's in that system, and she's like, "Anyone who goes in there will be destroyed." Cardassian and otherwise and it's one of those moments where she's like yeah we're uh, making if we have to make our power play and defend ourselves and therefore reveal what we have we'll do it Um, and she you know smirks at Gold when he's like all upset and objecting Uh, I think she like walks out with a big grin on her face and everything Um, Mm. but yeah
0: she looks creepy yeah she looks creepy when she does that (laughs) yeah
1: yeah, that yeah. Cardassian makeup—it came, it really it came out of else. nowhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and
0: the, the way it, like, the way that Cardassian makeup really like frames their eyes and stuff, and then like the lighting in that scene because they were for some reason looking up at her, right? And so when she just kind of like throws that very wide-eyed, big grin and looking down and all the rest of it, I was like, uh, "You should lock her up. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's gonna eat, she's gonna eat you." Yeah. <laughs> That's what she looks like right there. Yep.
1: Um. Yeah, and then uh, I guess, you know, Kira doesn't do a whole ton on the ship. I mean, she does a little bit. She, like, sabotages it, which allows for the one of the warp nacelles starts giving off plasma radiation, which gives away the ship's location, if, if, if looked at closely, uh, which causes the conflict at the end of the episode. And then she confronts Riker and tells him, like, oh, you're... Like, she's the one who causes them to stand down. Um, but again, I, I, this goes back to the whole, like, I... I feel like the whole Maqui group, Riker included, should have had more. Like, I don't know, they should have been more bold. They're like, they shouldn't have stood down so easily. They should have made more of an attempt uh, to escape the situation. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just felt a little bit like we got. We got to wrap this up, guys. Like, yeah, bring it on home.
0: Um, yeah, there was there was a lot there they could have done towards the end, you know. And that's one thing about like the. The shows that I always wonder about it's just like I feel like sometimes they make us think about space two dimensionally mm-hmm. when there's absolutely no reason that we should right. and it's like okay we know that those ships are behind you we know those other ships are in, a- ahead of you you do have a cloaking device you know um, change direction and if you stay cloaked and leave Cardassian space are they still going to chase you because I mean then I, they, they put themselves into a position of you know they're gonna have to now invade other space, whether that's Federation or just go somewhere else. You don't have to go back to the Federation, even there are other places you could go that you could use a ship like the Defiant, right? And I mean, and they could have, I mean, for as close as they were to you know those other, um. Cardassian ships and whatnot, they could have beamed that crew over. They could have beamed Kira over right. to the Cardassian ship and taken off. Right. You know? Uh, a lot of different things that they could have done to make this a bit more of a complicated ending. Right. And to give us a reason to kind of figure out Cisco's next move, especially when it comes to the Defiant. We all know he's very partial to that ship. Right. He's not going to let somebody he just take it, it. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, I mean he to suddenly have that be the plot to us and now that, you know, it's not in Cardassian space, they don't really care anymore and now it's a sole Federation matter as they're border hopping. Maybe they're going to, I don't know, Romulan space or Breen space or Klingon space or wherever, just kind of stirring up trouble to make things more difficult along the way, right. you know, and now it's Cisco's task to hunt them down before they make this any worse. Right. Could have also been very interesting, yeah. but we didn't get to
1: I even See, thought that yeah, one yeah. twist ending could have been, like, when the sh- when the Defiant goes over to one of the uh, Cardassian warships under Gold Ducat's command so that the shields can be put around it to protect it against the Obsidian Order ships. Part of me thought, like, is there some way for the Cardassian ship under Gold Ducat to, like, straight up capture it, like, tractor beam it and be like, oh, nope, we got you now, you know? You you wanted to do this whole we'll take we'll give you our sensor scans ah yeah screw that we're gonna take the whole ship and everything with it uh you know the federation ain't gonna have much of a you know federation can't complain too much they lost control of their ship they attacked us with it uh yeah it's ours now uh sorry Cisco thanks for helping us out uh yeah we didn't have to blow mm-hmm. it up like Gold Ducat originally planned but that could have been a twist ending too uh you know, Kira's captured Riker's captured um that would have been a fun ending so again i feel like oh we're back to our status quo everything's back to the way it was by the beginning of this episode and yeah okay you know you gotta there... you, sometimes this is what you gotta do it's, it's it's an episodic show it's not a serialized show per se yeah um but yeah
0: well i think that they uh, shows like the episodes like this kind of highlight a problem of where you're you're writing uh like basically they're they're a lot of this would have been great callbacks or even would have made a great original series episode, especially with them trying to make for this charming love angle between Riker and Kira. There's a little too much action for that plot point to work, but in an original series episode, that would have been kind of the whole thing. We would would have had way more of the interpersonal dynamic going on with, with all the other stuff and very there would have been a lot less um, fighting, mainly because there wasn't a mo- there wasn't money in the budget for the kind of um, CGI graphics or whatever else that they used in this episode. Mainly because a lot of that stuff didn't exist, right. and what did exist was hugely expensive in the in the sixties. Right. You know, right. um, so that's why they would have. Re- uh, a story like this would have worked better then because they would have just given you more story to cover up with the fact they don't have scenes. Right. But this one has a lot of action that overshadows a lot of other things that are going on, right. but they didn't commit fully to giving us the action. They could have dropped all that Kira love charming stuff. Um, once, especially once like Thomas got onto the defiant. Right. In fact, they could have done that whole part without him needing to charm her. Right. He was commander Riker for our, Intents and purposes, he could have asked Cisco right. to get onto the Defiant. There was absolutely no need for that angle beyond the fact that it was kind of like a a common trope of stories.
1: And we needed back Kira then. to be on there to talk him down. Yeah, that's why Kira was there. Right,
0: but. right. But I mean, it could have again. It could have been Cisco doing that. It could have been. It could have been Dax. Yeah. It could have been like it could have been O'Brien instead of him treating O'Brien, O'Brien like a jerk. You know, he yeah. could have. Uh, it actually would have made more sense for it to be O'Brien, right. you know, if Thomas had done his research, you know, a little bit. Which I mean, he knew that O'Brien was on the Enterprise at the very least. Right. So I mean, it would have meant, yeah, he would have had to initially fake his way through kind of feigning right. knowledge of the man, sure. Actually, but oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Only to the I was just gonna say, but only to the point of getting onto the Defiant. Once that was achieved, and he got the lockouts released. He didn't need O'Brien anymore,
1: right? I was actually um, while I was watching the episode, my after the reveal of who uh, of who uh, Tom was and all that, I my thought at the time was the reason he was all like aggressive with O'Brien was that was his way to get O'Brien off the ship. Like, oh, there's no reason for us to yeah. talk. Kira and I will stay here on the ship. That was just to get him off because you know. O'Brien, obviously, would have actually been more dangerous to have on the ship as someone who could sabotage it more easily than Kira uh, could have. That's true. Yeah.
0: That's true. And the same thing is true of of pretty much anybody else. Sisko, as the commander, would have had command codes that could shut the whole ship down. Dax is a science officer, so again, she would have had ample ways to sabotage the ship. O'Brien's the same. Yeah, Kira's kind of the only one who she's able to do so based upon her... Previous life as a terrorist, which Riker doesn't put much stock in. Right. I mean, he does it when it's necessary and uses her like you know, you know the ideals of you know living this kind of life and whatever else, but not of the skill set. He underestimates that. So yeah, I could see that too. That could be a very plausible one. He was basically eliminating all the true blue Federation officers because they were in a better position to stop him right. and interfere with his plan than than Kira was. Right. So yeah. I could believe that, right. and and also it works because he would have. He was also playing on her whole. You hate the Cardassians as much as we do. After what right. they did to Bajor. Right. no Federation officer would have the same feeling. Right. Yeah. So yeah. But yeah, like we say again, it it, it could have been a two parter. It could have also just as equally been a, a a continued callback, a, a an overarching story in multiple right. seasons. Like I would have loved for them to come back to this, you know, at the maybe the end of season four and into season five a little bit, you know. But yeah, alas, they don't. Now, I've never read the book uh that talks about the release, uh the rescue of uh Thomas Riker by Akira. Right. Might want to check that out at some point. Right. Um but in this last little bit of our show, I will tell you there are some very funny behind-the-scenes things about this episode that, if you can, you should find them on YouTube and watch. Apparently, Jonathan Frakes got on really well with the cast of the next of of Deep Space For some Nine. Recent something and, tells um, me
1: that's not uh, that makes sense. <laughs>
0: well, and it's actually it's a very common recurring theme that I've heard and read about from a lot of the shows that he's either worked on or filmed or whatever it is if he's if he's on set everybody says he is so much fun he's a just a really good time also at conventions he seems to be just very lively very engaging very fun i know when i went to a convention and got to you know do the next gen panel and everything like that he was he was probably the most uh enthusiastic person right. up there doing things right. But, um, yeah, you should look it up. On YouTube, there are several different bloopers and stuff like that from Deep Space Nine, and one of them features this episode a lot, because apparently him and um, Avery Brooks had a wonderful time together. Yeah. They, they're they telling jokes, they're laughing, and at one point they were laughing so hard that Riker, uh, well, Jonathan Frakes, like, falls out of a door, which causes more laughter. So, like... Go and, go and watch it. Okay. So All right. It's it's a, apparently they had a really great time with him, gotcha. uh, working with him. So, And I, I just love stuff like that because it's just like, you know, you hear about people not getting along and behind-the-scenes drama and whatever else. I just like hearing about when they're just – they just really seem to enjoy what they do because I feel like that would be me. I'd be – if I was working there, I would be doing everything I could to enjoy every moment. Right. Cause it's fun. Yeah. I mean, you get to dress up and you're on your favorite show and do whatever. Yeah, I would want to just have as much fun as I possibly could. Right.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Well, before we wrap this up, any final thoughts on the Defiant?
1: Uh, I would just say I like the fact that it was action packed. One thing I haven't really said, uh, it was an action packed episode. We saw star, you know, starship gun or dog fighting, basically. Um, liked that. I liked the Cisco Gold Ducat. Uh, stuff. I think that's I think those two characters together are great. One small thing I would say is that last time we saw Goldukot a couple episodes ago, he kind of turned into a laughing stock when he got stuck on the station with everybody. So for him to suddenly go back mm-hmm. to being a serious character again was a little jarring because it's like just a moment ago he was flat on his face looking like a fool, and now here he is again, you know, in charge of everything. But whatever, he's a, he's a gr- fascinating character, and he and Cisco play off each other well. Um, more time for more episode, more character development would have been good. But, eh, other than that, fine. It was great. And I look forward to talking about how this episode and Generations, seeing uh, Jonathan Frakes both, was, was fun. Because I hadn't seen him in about a year since I've watched TNG. So, yeah, double dose. Well...
0: Well, absolutely. Well, that will be it for us for this episode of the Fire Caves. As we said, just after this, we will be doing a Fire Caves After Dark, in which we do talk about uh, Generations, the movie. Um, So please be sure to uh, tune in for that. But until then, as we say for every other week, take care of yourselves.
1: Thanks, guys.